This program is made possible by the support of the members and donors to the show. For details or to sign up, visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from Tim Minchin, Le Show, NPR, The Onion, The Young Turks, The Colbert Report, Bill Maher, The Daily Show, and the comedy stylings of Jamie Kilstein from Citizen Radio. This episode breaks records for the number of swears contained within and is likely to be highly offensive. Fuck the Fuck the motherfucker and fuck you, motherfucker, if you think that motherfucker is sacred. If you cover for another motherfucker who's a kitty fucker, fuck you, you're no better than the motherfucking rapist. And if you don't like the swearing that this motherfucker forced from me and reckon it shows moral or intellectual falsity, then fuck you, motherfucker, this is language one employs when one is fucking cross about fuckers, fucking boys. I don't give a fuck if calling the Pope a motherfucker means you unthinkingly brandy and unthinking apple state. This has now to do with other fucking godly motherfuckers. I'm not interested right now in fucking scriptural debate. There are other fucking songs and there are other fucking ways. I'll be a religious apologist on other fucking days. But the fact remains, if you protect a single kitty fucker, then Pope or Prince or Plumber, you're a fucking motherfucker. You see, I don't give a fuck what any other motherfucker believes about Jesus and his motherfucking mother. I've no problem with the spiritual beliefs of all these fuckers, while those beliefs don't impact on the happiness of others. But if you build your church on claims of fucking moral authority and with threats of hell impose it on others in society, then you, you motherfuckers, can expect some fucking wrath when it turns out you've been fucking us in our motherfucking asses. So fuck the motherfucker and fuck you, motherfucker, if you're still a motherfucking papist. If he covered for a single motherfucker who's a kitty fucker, fuck the motherfucker, he's as evil as the rapist. And if you look into your motherfucking heart and tell me true, if this motherfucking stupid fucking song offended you with its filthy fucking language and its fucking disrespect if it made you feel angry go ahead and write a letter but if you find me more offensive than the fucking possibility the pope protected priests when they were getting fucking fiddly then listen to me motherfucker this here is a fact you are just as morally misguided as that motherfucking power hungry self-aggrandized bigot in the stupid fucking hat Pope Benedict XVI is to appoint an envoy to overhaul a conservative Roman Catholic order whose Mexican founder abused young children over many years. That would be a series of young children then. Marcial Maciel's actions were immoral, and the legionnaires of Christ order had to be purified, according to the Vatican. Maciel died in 2008, fathered a daughter with a mistress, as well as sexually abusing many boys and young men over a period of 30 years. He had enjoyed the support of the previous pope, John Paul II, soon to be a saint. In 2006, Father Maciel was banned from exercising his ministry, it's BBC talk, in public and told to retire to a life of prayer and penitence, accompanied by some young assistants. No, sorry. The priest founded the conservative order, I repeat, the conservative order, in 1941, had always denied any wrongdoing. He died at the age of 87. The Vatican statement came after the Pope met three bishops who investigated the order. It said Father Maciel had led a double life devoid of scruples and authentic religious sentiment. All right, then. And a lawyer for the Vatican says the former archbishop of the diocese, more news of the godly, 
the former Archbishop of the Diocese of Portland, Oregon, says a lawyer for the Vatican, properly handled, excuse me, a priest who had molested a 13-year-old boy properly by the norms of the 1990s. Cardinal William Levada did nothing as the Archbishop of San Francisco to restrict the priest after learning of the abuse way back in 1995. I remember when had that was back way back when we had Prodigy. In a 2005 deposition obtained by the Associated Press, Levada said he didn't contact police because he trusted the priest would not reoffend. Yeah, that's with those 1990s values. Trusting pedophile priests. I remember that. Vatican's lawyer, Jeffrey Lena, says while norms have evolved significantly since then, the priest didn't reoffend. So he says in that case, the old approach did work. You know, maybe we should re examine those 90s norms. <laughs> This episode is being sponsored by Audible. They're the world's largest resource for downloadable audio content like books, periodicals, premium podcasts, and more. For a limited time until June 30th, Audible is offering listeners of this show a free audiobook download of your choice. It's a pretty good deal. Simply visit audiblepodcast.com slash best. That's audiblepodcast.com slash best. A federal grand jury is investigating the Catholic Archdiocese of Los Angeles over its handling of sex abuse by priests. The church has settled with more than 500 victims, but serious questions remain. An NPR investigation reveals that Cardinal Roger Mahoney, along with his top officials and even his review board, failed to act when presented with pedophile priests. NPR's Barbara Bradley Haggerty examines the case of one of the most notorious abusers, Father Michael Baker. In 1986, Cardinal Mahoney found out that Father Michael Baker had been abusing boys from an impeccable source, the priest himself. Father Baker told Mahoney that he molested two boys beginning in 1978. Todd Tamberg, the spokesman for the Archdiocese, says Mahoney responded the way everyone did back then. Cardinal Mahoney decided to handle it pastorally and thought that the thing to do would be to make sure that Michael Baker got the kind of treatment that he needed and the kind of help that he needed so that he could uh, make himself whole again. After six months of treatment, Baker was put in restricted ministry. He was not supposed to have contact with children, and he was supposed to be monitored by other priests. But over the next 14 years, Baker was moved to nine different parishes, several of which had elementary schools adjacent to the rectory. That was clearly inadequate, says plaintiff's attorney Lynn Cadigan. Why is it the church's job to monitor them? Why doesn't he be monitored in jail or in prison like any other person? Cadigan represents two brothers who say Baker began molesting them in 1984 when they were five and seven years old. The priest babysat for the boys, and when the family moved to Mexico, Baker visited them, took them on trips, helped arrange for them to move back to Tucson. And all that time, he was theoretically being monitored by the archdiocese. Baker obviously wasn't monitored. He paid for everything. He bought them a house with church money, and he supported their mother. 
Cardinal Mahoney did set up stronger policies to stop abuse, for example, creating the Sexual Abuse Advisory Board in 1994. The four priests and four Catholic laypersons on the board were supposed to be advocates for the victims. Richard Byrne, a retired judge, has served on the board since the beginning. He says the vicar for clergy, who oversaw all the priests in the archdiocese, would present each case as a hypothetical with no names. And uh, then we would discuss that. Uh, This was purely advisory to uh, the vicar. We assumed that the vicar then spoke to the uh, cardinal. Burns says the board didn't have authority to make recommendations, nor could it conduct investigations. Those were done by the archdiocese. It was done in-house, so to speak. Did that always make you feel comfortable? Did you ever wonder if you were getting all the information? It did not make me feel uncomfortable. I, I assumed that they wanted our input or they would not have asked us to do it in the first place. Burns says in the 1990s, the review board heard dozens of cases of alleged abuse. Did they ever recommend that the archdiocese report any of those allegations to the police? No, we didn't feel that was part of our responsibility. And Burns says not once did the board recommend the archdiocese alert the parishes when a priest was accused of abusing a child, even though that was church policy. We assumed that the church was doing what it should do at that time and what it was required to do. One of the cases that went before the board involved a new allegation against Michael Baker. In 1994, Baker had befriended a 14-year-old boy named Luis, who served as an altar boy at St. Columkill Parish. He claimed the sexual molestation began immediately, and two years later, the boy was spotted outside Baker's room by another priest. The church notified neither the police nor the parish. None of the church officials involved would comment for the story. But Archdiocese spokesman Todd Tamberg says they weren't legally obligated to call the police. They did conduct an investigation. Both the Archdiocese and the review board concluded that no abuse occurred. And how did they know that? Baker was asked about it. He explained it away, and our mistake at that time was um, accepting his explanation at face value. For four years, the church heard no further complaints about Baker. Then, in 2000, two brothers walked into the office of attorney Lynn Cadigan. They were the two boys from Tucson, Arizona. They detailed their 15-year relationship with Baker. They described the sex and showed her his love letters. Cadigan quickly sent a 14-page letter to Father Baker, and four days later, he called her up. It was shocking. I'd never had a priest confess to me. Cadigan says Baker spoke of the many children he had had sex with in the U.S., Mexico, Thailand, and Nepal. He said Cardinal Mahoney knew about the abuse, but not the extent. She wrote the archdiocese threatening to sue. Within two months, she had a check for $1.3 million. One condition, the settlement would be secret. It was obvious they wanted to sweep everything under the rug immediately. I had never seen such a quick action to cover up and conceal sex abuse. After the settlement, Richard Loomis, the vicar for clergy, felt something had to be done about Michael Baker. Here's Loomis in a 2009 deposition obtained by NPR. Here he's talking with Luis's attorney, John Manley. I made a suggestion that the police should be called. Did they do that? No. Who'd you suggest that to? To the cardinal. Then Loomis asked if he should alert all the parishes in case there were other victims. Again, the cardinal declined. I was upset because I felt that we should have made the announcements. Why? Because it was the right thing to do. In the deposition, Loomis said he considered resigning. 
As he waited for the next question, something unexpected happened. Wait, 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 wait. What, are you, what, what are you doing? You're trying to shut him up. The lawyer for the archdiocese suddenly grabbed Loomis in an angry bear hug, physically restraining him from talking. What are you doing? I'm instructing my client. I'm in a line of questioning. You just stood up, put your arm around the witness, which he clearly on the video didn't want you to do, and, you be, and you're trying to get him to be quiet because you don't like his answers. Shortly after the deposition, Loomis got a new attorney. He was no longer represented by the archdiocese. In 2002, the Catholic Church sex abuse scandal broke across the country, and in Los Angeles, the archdiocese seemed intent on keeping quiet about the extent of its problem. But soon, its secrets were revealed. KFI AM 640, more stimulating talk radio. The John and Ken Show in front of the Los Angeles Archdiocese headquarters. Someone in the Archdiocese leaked recent emails between Mahoney and his attorneys to a popular Los Angeles radio program. The hosts, John Cobilt and Ken Champo, set up a studio on the street outside the Archdiocese and started reading emails. Here's a communication from March 27th, not very long ago. And it is from Cardinal Mahoney. As the drumbeats continue from every side for us to release the names, in I must still point to what I consider our greatest tactical mistake. Of the email goes on to describe Mahoney's concern that the church hadn't turned in three of the eight most abusive priests, one of whom was Michael Baker. If the district attorney finds this out, he worries, quote, I can guarantee you that I will get hauled into a grand jury proceeding and I will be forced to give all the names. The 68 emails read as if the cardinal and his lawyers were more concerned about public relations than the victims. But Archdiocese spokesman Todd Tamberg says you have to read the emails in context. There were legal concerns for victims. There were legal concerns for those accused. There was blood in the water in terms of, of interest by the press. And I think what you see is an archdiocesan leadership faced with a crisis that was still growing and that they were still trying to to understand. Since then, everything has changed, Tamperg says. Today, if a priest is suspected of abuse, the church pulls him out of active ministry and calls the police. And now the archdiocese employs four retired FBI agents to do the investigations. Judge Richard Byrne, who still serves on the review board, says Mahoney has been a pioneer. I think he has been in the cutting edge. The approach that he has taken in Los Angeles can be a model to the rest of the country. Burns says Cardinal Mahoney has been wrongly tarnished, and Mahoney himself has said he was misled by Michael Baker and other priests. Attorney John Manley doesn't buy it. Was he misled when he decided not to notify parishes in 2000? And was he misled when he decided in 2000 to force a confidentiality agreement on the two boys that did come forward? And was he misled in 2000 when he decided not to call the police? He wasn't misled. It was malicious. It was intentional. And it, it was hard-hearted. Earlier this year, the Archdiocese settled the suit with Manley's client, Luis, for $2.2 million. The Archdiocese says that 23 people have accused Father Michael Baker of molesting them. Baker is now serving a 10-year sentence for sexually abusing three boys. And a federal grand jury is investigating whether the Archdiocese of Los Angeles committed fraud by allegedly covering up sexual abuse.
A teen is injured mimicking a crucifixion he saw on Christian TV. It's the Onion Radio News. This is Doyle Redland reporting. Angry parents spoke out today after an 8-year-old boy was seriously hurt while attempting to nail himself to a cross. The injury occurred shortly after the boy saw a graphic depiction of the act last night on the Christian Broadcasting Network. The boy's mother charges the Christian media with, quote, glorifying crucifixion. They kept saying that this act saved the world against sin and, and brought mankind salvation, right? What eight-year-old wouldn't want to do that? The networks responded quickly to the outcry by adding a disclaimer stating clearly that crucifixion should be performed only by professional Christs. Uh, famous of man-on-dog sex complaints. Uh, don't get me started on that story. You know what? I'm going to get started. Santorum is such a clown, okay? First, that's the famous story where he says, you know, if you allow uh, gays to get together, next thing you know, men are going to be going after dogs. I don't know why that popped into his mind, okay? He's also the guy who said, we need tort reform. It has to be capped at $250,000. Then when his wife heard her back, and they apparently had some uh, problems at a hospital, he sued for $500,000. Okay, so this is that clown Santorum. He's also the one that got mauled, lost by 18 points uh, when he was running for re-election. This clown thought he was going to run for president, lose by 18 points in his home state. So, now, that's that clown that's about to give this speech. And it can't just be about, let's think about it, it can't just be about more government. It can't just be about that. Because you know what? Let's be honest. We were guilty of more government when we were there. Correct, Amundo. That's all right. So, what is it that has really sparked this flame that is burning so brightly across America that the political landscape is about to shift? Well, let me give you my thinking on this. What I think we see happening is a change of who we are as America is being threatened. See, America is not a country that is based on an ethnic heritage. America is an ideal. America is an ideal based on founding documents. Now, I know we hear, and hear a lot about founding documents, but I'm talking about different founding documents. The founding documents upon which our founding documents were based. And that's the Judeo-Christian ethic. That is the base... Totally and completely false. We are a people of Western civilization founded upon the Bible. We believe in the dignity of every human person. Why? Because we are created in the image of God. We believe in a constitution that's based on those Judeo-Christian ethics. At the You hear a lot of folks talking about Barack Obama wanting to make us into Europe. Look at the two constitutions. Our Constitution and our founding documents talk about a creator and talk about 
these rights endowed by God, their constitution does not even mention their heritage of Christendom. They make no, they are a completely secular country. They are a country that government is the diviner of rights. And so when I say what is at stake in this election is the vision of who we are as America. It's our aspiration that people are worried about. But the reason people come to this country is not so much of who we are, but who we want to be. And Barack Obama wants to change who we want to be. He wants to change the vision of America that our founders have ingrained the, and, 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 our, and our generations before us have ingrained in all of us. That's why Americans are unsettled, because they see something bigger than just more of the same Washington stuff. It's a bigger and broader vision that has just gotten people to erupt out of their chairs and say, no, we are going to fight for America. We are going to fight for the Judeo-Christian ethic. We are going to fight for our founding documents, and we will win in November. All right, and so the essence of that speech is America was not founded on ethnic, any ethnic heritage. It was founded on a religious heritage. So we will do that kind of discrimination, not the other kind. <laughs> okay, now, this is the brazen repetition of lies. America was the first ever secular country. It was the first country to say, we will not base our country on any particular religion. That is an absolute historical fact. You can read all the Founding Fathers on that. Furthermore, you can read the Constitution that says, we shall not establish a religion. That is fairly clear in the First Amendment. Okay? How much clearer did they need to be? And there is no talk, as Santorum says there, of we are based on Christendom and our heritage as Judeo-Christian. It's not in the Constitution. In fact, the exact opposite is in the Constitution. Even if you thought Christendom is the answer, which form? They didn't want to make those choices. Instead, they wanted a country based on laws that we created as men. So that's the big lie of Rick Santorum. Now, on a side note, he said, you know, as all the Republicans say, we were guilty of big government, too, when we were in charge. But they never explained that. Why were they guilty of big government? Because they got paid by corporate sponsors, the defense industry, etc., to load up the budget with pork. But they don't ever explain that. They just say it as if, like, oh, I made a judgment in error. You know, I was going out with a girl, and there was a really hot chick, and, yeah, you know, I banged her, too. Okay. No, it wasn't like that. You made an active decision. You said, no, I'm going to take money from this guy, put it into my pocket, or I'm going to put it into my campaign coffers, and then just give him a, a contract for with the American taxpayers' money. You did that over and over. So don't just pass over that. You're, you're exactly what's wrong with government. Now you want to get put back in charge, please. And then, look, finally, the whole point of that religion speech is that he wants to get to the core of that anger that he talks about, that the crowd feels, what he called the eruption uh, of their, um, you know, erupting out of their chairs, he said, that people are that angry. And the way he stokes that is not by any rational argument, 
not by what's wrong with any particular bill, health care or financial reform or anything else. He says it by implying that Obama is against Christianity. Obama is for is against Christendom and Judeo-Christian heritage, and he wants to turn us into a godless country. That's the best he's got. And so then people get all riled up because that's an attack on their identity, or at least they perceive it that way, right? So then they're erupt out of their chairs and they say, oh my God, let's go get him. I can't believe how bad the health care bill is. What? What does that have to do with the health care bill? No, it's the same old Republican identity politics. They want to turn us against one another. They did it with the Southern strategy, which then they later apologized for. Whoops, our bad. We were racist for all those years and tried to appeal to Southern racists. Um, that's what the Southern strategy was. And now they're appealing to try to split us along religious lines. Are you going to let it work? Well, that's up to you. There's a monster You can now support this podcast as easily as by shopping online. The next time you need to make a purchase of just about anything, simply visit bestoftheleft.com and use our Amazon.com search box to find what you're looking for. The search box is located right on the side of the website. You can't miss it. When you make your purchase, we get a little commission. It's just another effortless, completely free way for you to help keep the show going strong. Thanks for your support. National Day of Prayer, everybody. Come on. This is the one day that separates us from the separation of church and state. But we better pray it up good, folks, because this year may be our last. Consider this. Franklin Graham, son of Billy, was disinvited from the Pentagon's Prayer Day event just because he said Islam was an evil religion that practices murder. Which I did not say, by the way. Because Muslims are super. In fact, I think the Prophet Muhammad and I would be best buds. But most disturbing was this infographic I saw on the USA Today Today. All right. Praying before bed. It shows the percentage of adults who pray before going to bed. 71% of blacks... 45% of Hispanics, but only 32% of whites. White people are getting outprayed. First of all, thank you, the USA Today, for this vital information. I was running out of reasons to feel threatened by minorities. Folks, we cannot allow a prayer gap. If this continues, Black Jesus and Hispanic Jesus could gang up on white Jesus. Your own personal Jesus. Someone to hear your prayers. Someone who cares. Your own personal Jesus, someone to hear your prayers, someone who's there.
feeling unknown and you're all alone flesh and bone by the telephone lift up the receiver i'll make you a believer new rule although america likes to think it's number one we have to admit that we're behind the developing world in at least one thing their religious wackos are a lot more wacko than ours <laughs> when you may applaud that when South Park got threatened last week by Islamists incensed at their depiction of Muhammad, it served, or should serve, as a reminder to all of us that our culture isn't just different than one that makes death threats to cartoonists. It's better. Because when I make a joke about the Pope, he doesn't send one of the Swiss guards in their striped pantaloons <laughs> to stick a pike in my ass. When I make a Jewish joke, rabbis make vetch about it, but they don't pull out a scimitar and threaten an adult circumcision. <laughs> and when I insult Scientology, the worst that happens is it... You know, it is true. When it comes to scary-ass religions, extremist Muslims are like Godzilla, and we're like, are you there, God? It's me, Margaret. I mean, Sarah Palin is an evil dingbat who thinks God opens doors, but she never tried to poison gas a girl's school. <laughs> as the Taliban did this week in Afghanistan. You think about the craziest religious wackos we have here in America. The Mormons. <laughs> I'm kidding, that's not a religion. No. 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 Take the worst. The worst is the Christians who bring their God hates fag signs to soldiers' funerals. Can't get worse than that. Now multiply that by infinity and give it an army. That's the Taliban. Now, I've been known to make fun of Christians, but I have the perspective to know they're a lot more involved than people who target girls' schools, girls for going to school. Why, the worst thing our priests ever do is smother children with kisses. <laughs> But, you know, even with the latest Catholic horror story, Muslims could teach Christians a clinic in how to be fucked up about sex. And that's because Muslims still take their religion too seriously, whereas we have the good sense to blow it off. <laughs> Catholics, for example, don't follow the Pope in overwhelming numbers. They divorce, they have premarital sex, they masturbate. <laughs> And unlike the Koran, no one here seriously considers following the Bible literally. Guys don't look over their fence on Sunday morning and see a neighbor mowing the lawn and think, working on Sunday? I really should kill him. <laughs> now, now, Christianity, of course, went through a period like that where religion had too much influence. It was called the Dark Ages. For centuries, you either joined the church or were killed. 
But nowadays, when a Jehovah's Witness comes to the door, you turn the garden hose on him. <laughs> but before I conclude, it should in fairness be noted that in speaking of Muslims, we realize that, of course, the vast majority are law-abiding, loving people who just want to be left alone to subjugate their women in peace. <laughs> But I got to tell you, civilized people don't threaten each other. We sue each other. <laughs> Threatening, that's some old school desert shit. And I'm sorry, you can't bring that to the big city. I'm very glad that Obama is reaching out to the Muslim world. And I know Muslims living in America and Europe want their way of life to be assimilated more. But the Western world needs to make it clear. Some things about our culture are not negotiable and can't change. And one of them is freedom of speech. Separation of church and state is another. Not negotiable. Women. Women are allowed to work here, and you can't beat them. Not negotiable. This is how we roll. And this is why our system is better. And if you don't get that, and you still want to kill someone over a stupid cartoon, please make it Garfield. Hey, people. Hey, people. There's a book you really ought to read sometime. God wrote it, and I quote it. Anytime that its purposes suit mine. Some of the things that he wrote down But if you want to know What'll get you sent below Just check with me, I've got it figured out It's the Onion Radio News. Churches canceled due to a lack of God. This is Doyle Redland reporting. Pastor Tim Leobold of the Church of Holy Christ in Heaven canceled services Sunday because God simply does not exist. Churchgoer Mabel Grzowski had this to say. I enjoyed the lovely singing during church service. I was sad to see it go, particularly because I'm lonely and waiting to die. Church services have been replaced by a Sunday morning meeting called the Church of Imaginary Make-Believe Land. Doyle Redland for the Onion Radio News. about witchcraft in Nigeria and how uh, a lot of people are being uh, killed because they're being accused of uh, being witches and practicing witchcraft. 
Mm-hmm. Well, uh, right now in Nigeria, thousands of kids are being killed uh, because they are accused of uh, being witches. And the reason for this, I never really understood why this is happening. The reason for this is because there's this huge boom of evangelical Christianity. Mm. And there's more churches uh, in Nigeria than schools, clinics, and banks put together. Right? So all of these different churches are competing against one another. And the religious leaders in each church uh, wants to gain legitimacy and be favored by the Nigerian people. So what they do is they go around accusing these children of being witches, and that's how they somehow gain legitimacy. Yeah, well, the first thing that they're doing is they're doing the orchestra pit theory of Roger Ailes. They're grabbing attention. Uh, number two, it's, legitimacy is kind of a funny word for it. Uh, what they're saying is, um, look, uh, I have real power, okay? Not like that pastor who can't even tell a witch from a rock, okay? It, you need to come to me because I have relevance. I can actually see the witches. Exactly. And if I get rid of the witches, then you'll have good luck or as opposed to bad luck. Now, this article is really interesting because I did not know previously that it was connected to evangelical Christianity. Now, understand that um, local cultures and customs affects the, the way that the religion is applied tremendously. It does in the Middle East, it does in this country, and it does apparently in Africa as well. So in evangelical Christianity here in the U.S., there isn't a lot of talk of witchcraft. Sometimes, mm-hmm. but not a lot, right? In fact, one of those guys went over, I shouldn't say one of those guys, but a guy who has pointed out witches before in Nigeria went over and did a ceremony for Sarah Palin. We showed, we had the video on the show. I'm not kidding around about this. And he blessed her so that the witches wouldn't bother her. Okay, that's cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. Okay, that's mental, right? But this is a different level of mental. And yeah. when they go back home and they kill the kids because they're trying to gain advocates and then realistically make more money, that's a level of sickness and depravity that, you're right, Anna, absolutely enrages me. And, and these religious leaders are um, making people go bankrupt, okay, because they say that they're going to uh, perform these exorcisms and take the witch out of these people or out of their children. So people will literally give the religious leaders all their money, all their money, just so they can save their children. It's insane. And some of the uh, exorcisms incorporate methods that are... Terrible. I mean, I can't even I can't even describe how terrible they are. Um, this article talks about one kid who had his father basically force feed him acid until he died, mm-hmm. and that was part of his exorcism. It's insane. And um, just to give you an idea of how uh, prevalent this is in Nigeria, um, campaign campaigners against the practice say about fifteen thousand children have been accused in two of Nigeria's 36 states over the past decade, 15,000. All right, Uh, so look, this is why we fight against superstition in any form, and we fight for science, and we fight for truth, because superstition and nonsense beliefs that are not connected to facts get people killed. Now, you might say, oh, no, not my superstition, not my religion. Uh, It's perfectly lovely the way I apply it. We go to picnics and everybody has fun. Yes, but you believe in things that are not true. And when you believe in things that are not true, they spread and they spread until they get to people who pour acid down kids' throats because they think they're going to get take the witchcraft out of them. Okay, and now that gets to point number two. It's not just religion; sometimes it's the local cultures. And uh, I let me 
be impolite about this. If your local culture involves killing kids because you think they're witches, your culture can suck it, okay? Your culture is moronic. It's not based on facts. It's based on insane and incredibly hurtful uh, superstition. And uh, you don't know what the hell you're doing, and you should step aside and let people who do know what they're doing actually tell people what the reality of the matter is. Right. And you fight against all things that are true because you want to make money doing it, you're sick, and uh, you propel a sick culture. How do you like me now? No, and you're absolutely right. And the reason why this is so pre prevalent in Nigeria is because there is a lack of education there. I mean, most of the victims here are uneducated, and that's why they believe in the superstition. And also, since they're so poor and everything is going so wrong in their life, they're looking for a scapegoat. And a lot of these parents, uh, and this is what the article says, right? A lot of these parents uh, are happy when their kids are uh, accused of being witches because, hey, it's one less mouth to feed if we don't have one more kid. Then why did you have them in the first place? Yeah, exactly. Then why did you have them in the first place? See, look, this is very important. This isn't about Nigeria. This isn't about Christianity. It's not about evangelical Christianity, uh, even in specific, okay? It's a broader problem. Look, in Iceland, they believe in gnomes, okay? And that if the gnome is, you know, wishing you bad luck. We did a story on it a long time. I don't remember the details now. But, you know, he hides in the rocks, and he sometimes he pushes the boulders over. And if the gnome is in bad spirits, it'll do X, Y, and Z to you. Every different culture has these moronic old superstitions based on stuff because we didn't know any better. We didn't know why the rock fell. We didn't know why we had bad luck or we got eaten by our predators or whatever it might be. And we had to guess. And so the Icelandic people guessed gnomes and the Nigerians guessed witches. And in, you know, and the people in the Middle East guessed the sky god. One of them guessed Jesus, the other one guessed, you know, Allah, etc. And the list goes on and on. Please put these childish things aside because it gets people killed. But even more importantly, it just isn't true. But just please do two plus two equals four. Look at the facts. Look at the reality. Look at in. I'm, don't trust me on what the truth is. Learn. Get an education. And emphasize in all these different cultures, in all these different countries, education, math, science, etc. So we know what the reality is. So we can stop going down this insane path of, you know, trying to find out who's causing the evil spirits. And who do we have to kill to make sure it doesn't happen? I love hearing from listeners who write in to tell me about how this show positively impacts their lives. It reinforces the idea that what I'm doing really may be making a little bit of a difference. What I love even more is that it's the support of the listeners themselves which makes this show possible. If you appreciate the service this show provides, you can make individual donations or become a member and donate $5 a month or even save a couple of bucks by paying for a year in advance. Member support gives me the time it takes to produce 10 shows per month, and in return, members receive access to bonus audio and video content through members-only raw feeds. For details or to sign up, visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Thanks so much for your support.
And now, those of you with uh, access to media have probably heard that our good friends and colleagues, Matt and Trey, uh, got in a little bit of trouble during the airing of their weekly animated series, South Park. And by trouble, I mean veiled death threats. <laughs> it was a provocative episode uh, where they addressed the Islamic prohibition on depicting the Prophet Muhammad. Uh, their solution, of course, as is the solution to many of life's problems, uh, bear suit. <laughs> it's actually the same way I got out of jury duty. Um, by the way, it, it turns out it wasn't really Muhammad in the bear suit. It was Santa Claus. And I say that not to enrage the elf community. <laughs> but I guess when you're dealing with irrational anger, uh, the facts of what the show was aren't really the issue. Comedy Central decided to censor the episode. It's, it's their right. We all serve at their pleasure. <laughs> I have more than once been called out of my home on a Sunday to dance for the head of programming at, <laughs> at his winter chalet. <laughs> Can I put my clothes on now? I'm not finished. <laughs> the, censorship dis, uh, uh, the censorship was a decision Comedy Central made, uh, I think, as a way to protect their employees from uh, what they believe was any possible harmful repercussions to them. Uh, although, after forcing many of these same employees to work on Mind of Mencia and Krog Mondoon, <laughs> <laughs> damage done. <laughs> but again, they signed the checks. Uh, but I think for me, the most striking thing as I ponder the difficult circumstance, uh, our great and hilarious and intelligent and sweet comedy brethren, Matt and Trey, uh, now find themselves in, purely for expressing themselves, uh, is this. The threats that they received uh, come from Revolution Muslim, a group located in New York City. Yeah. <laughs> this group residing in the shadows, or, or should I say, former shadows of the World Trade Center, are allowed to praise Osama bin Laden, celebrate the anniversary of 9-11, and try and intimidate the creators of South Park, all while enjoying our lovely theater district, <laughs> our many diverse restaurants, including some of really the best Jewish deli you'll find, our new Highline Park. It's a park made out of an old elevated train line. It's a really super thin park in the sky. <laughs> Let's play Frisbee. Little help. <laughs> and these numbnuts get to enjoy it. All because of how much we in this country value and protect even their freedom of expression. But as eyewitness, As I witness the reaction to this episode, it makes me realize that I myself actually owe a lot of religious people an apology. Not, not for making jokes at their expense, but for not appreciating and thanking you for how well you've handled it. Because I mean, we've been ass to uh, uh, the Jews. Shalom, ladies. Took two moils to do that. Oh, is this good matzo ball soup? That's my cousin, Rabbi Wallenstein. These fish looking at schmucks in Congress. I don't want to do this, or maybe I have to atone for that later. And I quote, uh, For Passover, the lame shank, friend or foe? Baruch atah adonai. Oiga boiga, oiga boiga. You people are fakakta. Completely mashugana. You call that a Holocaust cartoon? I'll show you a Holocaust cartoon, and it involves my sister. That, we 
put that together. That's very kind of you. That's, that's all we could throw together in two hours. Uh, we've, we've actually made mention, uh, I believe, also of Christians. If you've ever talked about gay sex with a Methodist, you know there's only one thing they demand, graphic detail. Catholicism, the religion that makes high school girls either no fun at all or pretty wild. Well, David Brinkley's The David Brinkley Lutherans Are Doomed Sissies Report. A strange turn of events, Jesus. Mm. What the rapture might be like. Oh, hey, Ed. You want some accordry? Other faiths are more cavalier about foot hygiene. For instance, I'm a Lutheran. That's a Mormon. The Jehovah's Witnesses. Your best chance to talk with old Jamaican women. My God, the Pope's plane is invisible! No, the, the Pope is Wonder Woman! Check it out. religions, uh, which I guess you would call them offbeat or miscellaneous. The sacred Ganges where the Hindus take the ashes of their loved ones does sound a lot like something you get from a whore. Voodoo. The only religion where you can become a doctor without going to grad school. Atheism. The religion devoted to the worship of one's own smug sense of superiority. Wiccan Yule. It's like Christmas for people who hate their parents. Rastafarianism. Scientology. Buddhism. The official religion of chubby chasers. If there is mutual respect, mutual friendship. I am ready to talk with the Chinese on this proposal anywhere, anytime! The dirty Amish pillow talk. It must be like, oh, oh, Jebediah, oh, ye! Shalakalaka! Oh, shalaka! What are they? The what are they? The Cathars? Thor, the Norse thunder god. I am an American Moslem. Okay, I know it's called a pigskin, okay, but it's not against your religion to catch it. We tried to get people on board with Kwanzaa, but it was just too retarded. <laughs> Boom! That's everybody! this out. Typically, the angriest letters we get tend to come from the Amish. Surprising! <laughs> but their letters, the calligraphy? <laughs> For more now on the South Park controversy, we are joined by our senior Islamic correspondent, Asif Manvi. Now, Asif, what do you make of the, the, the South Park controversy? Censorship well, I mean, what am I, John? Every Muslim in the world? I mean, I represent all Muslims? Come on! Well, in this building, actually. <laughs> I mean, for you, would a depiction of Muhammad in some form upset you? John, look, I'm a pretty liberal Muslim, meaning during Ramadan, every now and then, I'll sneak a Diet Coke before sundown. <laughs> but yes, it... It would make me uncomfortable, and I can understand people being upset about it. E even though it's a cartoon? Yes. But here's what's more upsetting. Someone in the name of a faith that I believe in threatening another person for doing it. Wow, that's... Why, why is that? Why do you think that's... Well, A, it's just so 12th century, and <laughs> B... I don't like having to walk around wearing this suit. Wow. You, you had to have a special suit made? No, it's a Tommy Hilfiger, but I... I, 
I had to buy it. Thank you very much. Asif Manvi, everybody. Asif Manvi. So, in conclusion, I think there's only one thing left to say to Revolution Muslim. And I hesitate to use this phrase because it's a phrase I've used before in reference to other people. Fox News, Bernie Goldberg, Kramer, the crew at Chick-fil-A on 8th Avenue that can't seem to get a salad right. <laughs> and I don't want to lump these people in with Revolution Muslim and, and extremists like that. Because even in our angriest and most contentious moments, uh, people over there at Fox and those things, they're basically decent human beings I disagree with. They are, at worst, worthy adversaries, opponents, rivals, uh, disputants, as, aspersioners, <laughs> nemesi. <laughs> but we're not enemies. Revolution Muslim, your type of hatred and intolerance, that's the enemy. And so... <laughs> And I say this to anyone who's threatening death in the name of religion or politics. Yes, Everybody, go yourself now. Go yourself now. Go yourself now. Go yourself now. And here's the sad part. The sad part is there is some beautiful stuff in the Bible. There is. I'm not being facetious. There totally is. The problem is the majority of people ignore the beautiful stuff because the beautiful stuff is hard. And it's just easier to be an asshole than it is to work. It's easier to hate than it is to love because you read the Bible and you think about how much even your most devout ignore. You read the Bible and it's like, uh, treat thy neighbor like thyself. Uh, my neighbor's a fucking cock, so nope. Uh, sorry, Frank. Uh, I just realized it's love thy neighbor, but I'm like, you know, I'm pretty sure if any religious person's going to get mad, it's not going to be over that. Uh, anyway. Um, give all of your money to the poor. Well, that is adorably retarded. No, we're not going to do that. Like, Jesus said that. How do we get to ignore that? Jesus said that. Jesus said to give all of your money to the poor, not some of it. So to give all of your money to the poor. So that's true. Disqualifies me. Disqualifies all of us. Thank you for coming to the show tonight. Um, sorry. Uh, disqualifies Rick Warren. It disqualifies the Vatican. It disqualifies Vatican City. Especially them. Because that doesn't look like you're giving all of your money to the poor. That looks like you're taking money from poor people to make these giant love me forts. Like I feel like, kind of, right? I feel like if Jesus came back, he would be furious. Especially because you look, and a lot of times, what do they spend the money on? Well, they spend the money on these giant statues of Jesus, right? Huge shrines to Jesus. And it's like, 
what kind of diva, starlet, rock princess Jesus do you think is coming back? That he's going to be like, I'm back. Where are my fucking statues? Like, what? <laughs> Jesus, there are poor people. I'm not doing shit till I get my sparkly glove and see my statues. Like, no, that doesn't sound like Jesus talk. Do you really think it's going to be like Jesus is back and he's on a cell phone? Just, yeah, sorry, boys, talking to Hollywood about my sweet ass book deal. Is that my statue? I said gold. Don't you know who my fucking father is? Ew, a homeless person. Puh, puh. Crucify this. It's like, oh, my God. Jesus is a fucking asshole. What do we do? Do we kill him? No, he's just going to come back. And that's... That's awkward. So much violence is caused from religious oppression. There are still parts of the Middle East where if you're a woman, you can be stoned to death for adultery. And the people who do this say they're doing this because the Koran told them to. Now, I've read the Koran. I've skimmed the Koran. I haven't read the Koran. But I... Because that shit is fucking hard. But I have heard on excellent authority that there are some beautiful parts of the Quran, and there are, there are some beautiful parts, but there's also some sexist stuff too. But the beautiful stuff is so prolific and so profound that the sexist parts almost don't fit with the rest of the book. Like, you start to think maybe Muhammad was this really smart dude, but like some girl just broke his heart and he holds a grudge. <laughs> because you read the book and it comes out of nowhere. It's like, Allah is good, Allah is great. Fuck Becky Smith. What? <laughs> Well, if she didn't want a serious relationship, maybe she should have told me I was the only guy that ever understood her. Really, Becky? I'm the only guy that ever understood you? Yet this relationship is moving too fast? That doesn't even make fucking sense. No, I know what you're trying to do. You're trying to be like those cool artsy girls from the fucking indie movies. But those girls aren't cool. They're fucking crazy. Don't bring up Garden State. Natalie Portman was borderline retarded in that movie. Zach Braff should have gone to jail for fucking a retarded girl. You're going to cry in an airport phone booth? You've known the guy for like a day. Got a fucking grip. No, I know Garden State hasn't been invented yet, nor have movies. But you know how I know these things are going to exist, Becky? Because I'm a prophet. I'm a goddamn prophet. Maybe you would have known that about me if you ever had to listen to what I had to say at the dinner table instead of always trying to show me pictures of you of your goddamn feet. Nobody wants to see pictures of your feet, Nicole, Becky. Nobody wants to fucking see those. You know what? I don't need you. I have a new girlfriend. No, I have two new girlfriends. I have 72 new girlfriends. 72 virgin girlfriends. Fuck you, Becky. God has spoken. Thanks for listening to, well, like the half of you who made it all the way through. I, I could be going out on a limb. I could be a little wrong. Uh, my guess is that not everyone made it all the way through this episode. Um, a few people may have been offended, but what are you going to do? But I figure, you know, as, as long as there aren't many people listening anyways, I could uh, give just a little bit of behind the scenes uh, details and say the reason why I'm not going to be telling you about how awesome the uh, the conference was and the listener meetup and uh, and the big protest on Wednesday I'm not going to be telling you about any of that um, because in all honesty it hasn't happened yet now I, I know I just blew your mind but uh, truth be told the last three episodes that all came out after I left for my trip to Washington DC, including this one, were all produced before I left for my trip on D.C. So I'm, I'm talking about my trip to D.C. as though it's in the past tense. 
Um, but for me, my reality is I haven't left yet. So in terms of telling stories about all the great stuff that happened, uh, I, I can't do it. I just, uh, it, I, I haven't lived it yet, but as soon as I do live it, I will come back, start making new shows and fill you in on all the details. The other fun detail for those of you who are in the, the really small minority of people who like give a shit about me at all and, and kind of like what's going on in my life is that this show that you're listening to right now was, or I guess I should say will be posted at about the same time my train is arriving in Chicago, where I now am living, will be. Anyways, you get the idea. I only mention it because I've been saying for months that I'm about to move to Chicago. Well, now you know. It happened. Or it's about to happen. Well, for you, it already happened. For me, it hasn't happened yet. But I can only assume that it will. So it's going to be kind of fun. I, I'm uh, taking, taking the train um, because I love trains. And they're so much more uh, intimate than flying, I think. And so I'm really excited about that. I'll be taking a train from Washington, D.C. You know, after the big conference, I'll just hang out for a couple of days, then catch the train on Friday and arrive in Chicago Saturday morning. Who knows? Maybe something exciting will even happen on the train and I'll have a story to tell about that. Uh, But I I wouldn't bet on it. I'll be asleep most of the time in, in all likelihood. Okay, now, so back back to regular order of business. Want to thank a couple of members who make the show possible, especially shows like this where you know the, the members really make it possible. Because I guarantee I'm going to get an email from someone saying, uh, you know, I was just about to send you a donation, but then I heard your show and I'm so offended that I have to unsubscribe. Okay, that only happened once, but you know, other people might think it and not write in. So, anyways, uh, heroes of the day, uh, members who are making this all happen, Brett R signed up for his membership way back in uh in august 2009 august 24th signed up for a monthly membership and has been sticking with the show ever since huge thanks brett for uh, for hanging in there paxton r signed up on may 28th really recently but uh, but went ahead for a, a full year membership and went above and beyond the the standard membership level so uh, that's totally awesome to uh really dive in head first and support the show like that thank you paxton and I, I realized that I forgot to thank members in the last show, so I'm going to do a couple more. Brian W. signed up for his uh, monthly membership back on April 19th. Thank you, Brian. And Patricia, possibly Patricia, you never know, but uh, Patricia M. signed up for her monthly membership on March 16th. Also, kicking in a little bit extra, just uh, just for the pure joy of, of helping to support the show. Huge thanks to all four of those members. You guys rock the world, along with every other member and donor to the show uh you guys absolutely make it possible so that's going to be it for today please continue to spread the word about the show tell everyone you know about it stay connected between episodes on facebook and twitter get details about the show including links to all the sources and music used in the show all those details in the show notes on the blog so coming to you from far outside the conventional wisdom of washington dc my name is jay and this has been the best of the left podcast coming to you 10 times a month thanks entirely as i say to the members and donors from bestoftheleft.com. Fine, fine, smell black and white. You took apart a picture that wasn't right. Bitch burning on a shining sheet. The only maker that you want to meet. A dying man in a living room. The shadow bases the floor. Just a fall from-
Hi there, it's Mike. Here's another unsolicited moment for the podcast listeners. Some things have changed since I sent my first message to Jay. The main change? More podcasts. Ten a month. And there's the iPod apps, the bonus clips divided into different categories for the subscribers. And now Jay has made this podcast his full-time job. Plus, Jay won the Best Produced Podcast of the Year Award. By using the Amazon link on the Best of the Left podcast site, you can contribute with every purchase you make at reduced prices on just about every Thing. At Amazon, you can buy music, downloads, furnish your apartments, fill up your cupboards with linens, food, computer supplies, appliances, and on and on and on. Not just the Amazon DVDs and books. In fact, it's hard to name anything that you can't buy at Amazon. And you're contributing at the same time without paying a penny more. Now, my Social Security retirement check doesn't allow for much shopping, but I still manage to make sure Jay has my $5 subscription month after month. It's great to know that even on a meager income, I'm making a big difference in our world, keeping the Best of the Left podcast going and growing and ensuring progressive concepts are introduced, heard, and passed on. I'm proud to be a part of that, and you will be too. Do your part. Do what you can. Thanks.